Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is Hills to Die On, Part 2, Loyalty, recorded Sunday, September 18th, 2022. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Scott with today's message. We're asking this question, will I worship Jesus with my life? Will I give him all the extravagance I can offer like Mary showed us when she anointed him with expensive perfume? Talked about that last week. And then when she did so, immediately that was contrasted with the hatred of those who would crucify him and those who would reject him. And I think all of this has to come back to us. We have to, if we're going to be honest at church, and if there's no place we should be able to be honest more than church, what is, I don't know. Where are my loyalties? Where are my loyalties? As you might have read with us last week, if you were here, it says in Mark chapter 14, 10, then Judas Iscariot, one who was of the 12, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. So on this walk up this hill, some will betray him. There's these contrasts that we see between those who crown Jesus and those who crucify him. In 94 hours from this point, Jesus will turn the world upside down forever. Everything will change from that point on. Everything will begin to change when he shares in a special moment that we call the Last Supper. Now, over the last three years, among all the things that the world has gone through, and especially with COVID-19, one of the trends that's emerged has been homemade bread baking. It started as a way for people to pass the time in isolation. It became a hobby for many people, and for some it became a real regular pattern. As a matter of fact, it was such a worldwide phenomenon that people started making bread that supplies started to disappear, and you couldn't get simple things like the right kind of flour, the right kind of yeast, and even baking pans. So how to make bread without yeast became one of the top Google searches for a period of time. And I think really what that signals is that there's something about us that goes back to the most comfortable thing that we seek when we're in chaos. And in the case of many of us, it's comfort food. (laughs) And what's more comfortable than a good old loaf of bread, right? When Jesus gathered his followers, his core 12, and they went to Jerusalem to share the Last Supper, they were tired, they were afraid, they were confused. I think they needed some comfort food. So let's read about that. It's in Mark 14, 12. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go to make preparations to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations 
for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. I want to notice that that word preparation, prepared, was mentioned several times during that short passage. Verse 17, when evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table and eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. That would have been that circle of, of 13 people, Jesus and his 12 disciples. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, surely you don't mean, mean me. Now, they reclined at the table, it says, because in their, it wasn't like the Da Vinci Last Supper thing where they were sitting at this tall, baroque table, and you know, it wasn't that way at all. They, the table was probably no more than a couple of feet off the ground, just like that. And they would all be laying on their left elbow on a pillow because it was believed that the left hand was unclean. So uh, in, a jo- in a proper Jewish meal, the person would eat with their right hand. Verse 20, he says to them, it's one of the twelve. One who dips the bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. That means, he said, he's told them plainly, I'm going to that cross that I've been telling you about that. I've been, and no matter what happens with this betrayal, I'm going there. But woe to the man. The Son of Man will go just as it's written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he'd not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread When he given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, 14 centuries before this, The first Passover was a gut check on the Jewish person's loyalty because they had to decide, do I trust God to deliver me from slavery? And then in this situation with this last meal, it's a gut check for the disciples' loyalty. They have to decide, will I follow this this person all the way, this Jesus? Will I go with him? And every time we gather in this setting, or as Christians in general, to partake of the Lord's Supper, it is a gut check on our loyalty. We're asking the question, am I really in with this guy? And I want to remind you of that today, that loyalty is the appropriate posture for our gathering at this table we call the Lord's Supper. And and, and let me just say this, and and chew on this for a second. The value of loyalty is appreciated by acknowledging the cost of betrayal. The value of my loyalty is appreciated by comparing it to the cost of my betrayal. So I want to just point out some simple things from the Last Supper that I believe apply every time we gather for the Lord's Supper. The first thing is, and I've already highlighted this, there's careful preparation required. Jesus went through all kinds of steps to make sure that everything was just right for their meal together. And that would have been common back then because it was a very important meal. 
It was during the Passover. And what happened was that every spring, the Jews commemorated the deliverance of slave, from slavery in Egypt by coming together for this meal. And, 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 and it all goes back to what God had told Moses to do with the Pharaoh when he said, you need to get him to let my people go from slavery. And so if you remember the story or seen the Disney movie, you know what happened was several several um, um, uh, miracles were performed before the Pharaoh by Moses to show him that God was in charge and he better listen. But the Pharaoh would not listen. The Pharaoh rejected God and rejected the power of those miracles. And so God said, okay, there's one last miracle. This will convince him. And he said that every firstborn will die in your household unless you let my people free. And for a while, it sounded like the Pharaoh was going to acquiesce, but he did not. And so God gave specific preparatory instructions to the people of Israel on how to survive this horrible miracle, this deadly plague. So what they would do is on the precise day and time, as the death angel prepared to enter Egypt, they slaughtered a lamb without blemish. The lamb would become their meal for a special supper, and they would take blood from that lamb, they would put it on their doorpost and their head post of their door, and then they would pass under the, the, the doorpost to go to the meal, and they would wait in safety. And those who did that, their firstborn did not die. Those who did not do that, there was death, because they walked in under the blood. Now, in Jesus' day, the Passover was a day-long celebration that accompanied something called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And they, they would eat unleavened bread for a whole week. And the idea behind that was that the bread without yeast was easy to make and was prepared to go in a hurry. So going back to Moses and the people, when God said, we're going, when Pharaoh lets them go, you, you don't have time to bake bread and put yeast in it and let it rise. You've got to go you got to go. But something else happened with the Jewish people over centuries, and that is that they came to see yeast to be symbolic of sin. And so when there was yeast, that meant sin. So it had to be removed. And as you probably know, yeast is a tiny organism that seems powerless, but when it enters into bread, you know, you don't put yeast in bread and have it turn out like this, do you? Now, this would be a little loaf of bread. And the reason is because it has these properties, these chemicals that merge with the dough, and it just brings that bread into vibrancy, and just a speck of yeast can have a tiny impact. So another thing that would happen on this Passover meal that the Jews would commemorate, what they would do is before the entire thing unfolded, they would go into the place where the meal was being served, and they would remove any any hint of yeast in the whole place. Because again, it represented sin. And that's, by the way, where the term spring cleaning came from. It really is. Because they would clean the house out. Why do I tell you all this? Because there's something important that we need to bring to this moment. When we, his people, his children, his body, when we share in this meal. And that is, there's some house cleaning, some preparatory cleaning we need to do. Not the house where you live, not this building where we're worshiping, but the house where Jesus lives, 
That's my life. That's your life. And the Jewish practice of, of getting rid of all the leaven is a reminder to us that when we enter into this experience with Jesus, we need to be aware of the leaven. What is the sin that we're bringing into this time and place? And most of us, if we'll do a little bit of spotlight searching in our life, we'll find some. So we, we bring it out. We say, it, here it is. We, we acknowledge it before Jesus. Paul wrote to Christians in Corinth about that. He said, get rid of the old yeast that you may have new batch without yeast as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice, wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. Sincerity and truth. This is a moment for us as we come to this, and we do this weekly, friends, when we come into this, the presence of the Lord on this table and we come with sincerity and some self-truth. Not just truth about him, but truth about us. So, here's a second thing that happens in the Last Supper that I think also we experience in the Lord's Supper. And I've already talked a little bit about it, but let me expand. And that is self-examination. Self-examination. When those Jewish families would gather for the Passover meal, it was a happy celebration. But when Jesus and his disciples gathered, it seemed to be somber because there was a big thing that's about to happen. He's going to die. You ever been to a family meal where, you know, you were there just to celebrate and to be the people you love the most, and, and then something's said, and the mood gets ruined. You ever had that happen? I'm sure you have. I had this happen to me about a month ago. I was with the people that are the most important to me, and we... The table was spread, we were all sitting there, and there had been some tension before that, probably most of it that I felt. And so I blurted out something that was hurtful, and it ruined everything. It ruined our appetites, it ruined our dialogue. I was ashamed about it. I was frustrated by the events, but more than that, by my own behavior. And it really ruined it. Now, I felt passionate about what I said when I said it. I felt ashamed after it came out of my mouth. You ever had an experience like that? Liar. Attention felt meal. And what Jesus said had to be said. And I'm sure he felt bad about it. But he didn't feel shame because he was warning them. He was warning them about betrayal. Betrayal is a horrible thing because it brings doubt. And did you notice when he said it, one of you will betray me? It wasn't like they all just looked at Judas. As a matter of fact, I thought that probably, I bet everyone there would have thought anyone but Judas because he was kind of like the superstar guy. He was the treasurer, you know. He was the most trustworthy one, supposedly. Now, what did they do? They looked within. Is it me? And that seems curious to me. The only one that didn't do that is Peter. You know, he's like, oh, Lord, I'll never betray you. I'll, I'll go with you till the end. And then like, you know, eight hours later, it's cock a you know. I mean, he didn't make it either. You know what I'm saying? 
By the way, people try to excuse Judas' actions here. Like, I've heard sloppy theology say that, well, God decided that it would be Judas from the beginning of time, and he programmed him to be the betrayer, and Judas didn't have any choice in the matter. That is a bunch of baloney. All people are born with free will. He could have changed his mind, and he could have been just like Peter and come back to Jesus. All of that could have happened. It didn't happen because he was a betrayer, and that didn't change in him. I've heard people say, well, no, Judas was really a good follower of Jesus, but he wanted to force Jesus' hand to make sure this kingdom came to be, so he was just trying to move things along. That's baloney. Why did Judas do this? Simple greed. That's it. It was a scheme. He'd been stealing money before that. I'm sure Jesus probably knew that. And he could, with 30 pieces of silver, buy a little piece of land and set himself up. And so that's what the bargain was about. And as you probably know, he went and hung himself from a tree on the land he had purchased. This was nothing but common, ordinary greed that drove Judas to betrayal. It was deliberate and calculating. And I think that Jesus was giving him a chance to repent. Because he would go to that cross one way or another. And even though he didn't call him out by name, I think him and Judas knew, didn't they? They knew there was tragedy to be had. Now let me go back to something I said earlier. Because sitting at this table with Jesus, and I'm talking about us now, it's a wonderful yet incredibly humbling moment for every one of us. It should be. Where every one of us recognizes that there's something within us that can betray him. That there's evil within me. There's something within me that I don't trust. There's something that I'm not sure might break out and do a horrible thing. The disciples recognizing themselves because they shine the spotlight, they allowed the Holy Spirit to look in. We need to let the Holy Spirit look into our lives and, and determine what is it in me What kind of yeast exists in me that can bring sin that's devastating for a life or a lifetime? That self-distrust gripped these men, and here's why. When they examined themselves, they knew they had the capacity to betray him. And I just want to suggest to you, when we come to this table, we need to be that honest too, because sin is betrayal. At the meal, these disciples had to examine their hearts. It's kind of what 1 Corinthians 11 tells us from Paul's perspective to us now that we're post-Jesus' resurrection. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat eat the bread and drink the cup. It's one of your great responsibilities when you commune with him. Now, here's another thing. This moment of worship when we commune together as the church, it should activate our memories. It's a time when we think back and remember and celebrate something about God that we could never accomplish for ourselves, and that's his mercy and grace. Catholic believers celebrate Mass every time they meet. The Mass is the central act of worship for the Catholic Church it, it celebrates and commemorates the sacrament of the Eucharist, which is all terminology pursuant to how Catholics worship in these settings. 
And one reason for the frequency that they, like the mass can happen daily, right? It happens daily. It's because they teach that this bread and, and, this, and this vine, this fruit of the vine, literally transforms into the very body and blood of Jesus as it's taken. So it's a physical miracle. When the priest speaks over the bread, he uses the Latin phrase, hocus corpus muum. Magicians have taken those terms over the centuries, and they've used it to command magic, hocus pocus. It comes directly from the Latin words the priest would use over the bread. Now, we don't, as a church, teach in this doctrine of transubstantiation, meaning that the bread literally, the, the, the fruit of the vine literally becomes the body and blood of Jesus. We don't teach that because I think the scripture makes it clear this is a representation, a memory tool for that purpose. It says in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So it's a memory tool. Same thing with the, with, the, with the cup. The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. It's not like a magical, you know, like physical thing that happens to you that makes you something different. It's a spiritual transformation he wrought on the cross when he died for you and was raised from the dead on the third day. So there's symbols. When Jesus took the bread with them, he was telling them a new covenant between God and humanity is being formed. It's being opened up. And I, I'm thankful that we've not moved beyond that symbolism because when we gather for this supper as the body of Christ, we are celebrating that Jesus has opened up the way of grace and forgiveness and freedom. It's an act of loyalty when we take time out of our lives and we come together to remember the price that he paid to save us. Now there's a fourth action that I think should be relevant to us as we come together to commune, and that is the Lord's Supper produces joyful anticipation. I think one of the most powerful things that can happen when we commune is that it actually is a time for us to put all of our past behind us even our last moments behind us. And we can come to this place, this table, in this moment, and we can start over again. Like it's a new, it's a new lease on life every time we commemorate what Jesus has done for us. So we can leave our past behind and we can look forward to the future when we don't have to carry that baggage with us. And we're going to also remember this. We're going to be in a moment in the future someday when we're going to come together actually with the Lamb of God, he's going to throw a banquet. And in the, at that banquet will be all of those in his body who have come to him because they've received him by grace. And, and so we're going to have this wedding banquet unlaid, you know, laid out before us. And there's the groom and the Lamb of God. And there's his bride, the church. And we're going to celebrate together. It's going to be beautiful. I like how Revelation writes that this is written by John, his follower. When I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like the sound, the loud peals of thunder, shouting, hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. 
let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. We are his bride. There will be a lot of us. We will shout in unity and in victory. It will be a moment of unbelievable joy and happiness. It will be a union once and for all of Jesus and his church. And and the question has to be this for you. Will you be there? Will you be there at at that feast, at that banquet? If you die or if Jesus returns before you accept his invitation, you will not. It's null and void. So you need to make reservations. He's done everything for you. He's laid it out before you. God came to earth. He became one of us. He suffered with us. He was crucified. He died there. He did it out of love. And then he came out of that tomb alive. And that means that there's life for us. And this is what the story is showing us. It's love's extravagance. When Mary brought that vial of perfume and poured it on Jesus and anointed him, that was her extravagance. She brought the very best she had. And now Jesus is showing us through the symbolism of this supper, now I'm going to pour myself out for you. The vial will be broken and I will be poured out. The precious ointment of his blood. When we take communion as believers, we celebrate, but we remember. We remember what the bread and cup symbolize, a free gift of God's grace, forgiveness wrought by a God who would submit to humans, who would submit to our human sin, and he would break himself because of it. We're going to remember that as we commune. We're going to remember that that's how much he loves us. We're going to remember love's extravagance. We're going to do this together. And so today as we commune, this is something we do weekly here at Third City. We always do it on the Lord's Day. We call it Lord's Day on Sunday because that's when we gather. And, um, and as we do this together, as we take this together, I, I want to invite you first to do what I talked about at the beginning, self-evaluation. Because, and by the way, this is a very dangerous moment. Because on one hand, you might say, I'm evaluating myself, I'm not worthy. Oh, that's a good thing to say. It's a good thing for you to admit, I am a betrayer. He's okay at that. But here's the dangerous part. It's if you come to this table and say, oh, I'm worthy. Well, you are because of Jesus. But you're not because of you. So as we evaluate ourselves, you know, this isn't for children. And I I know that we don't talk about this every week, but this isn't for someone who's not yet laid their life before the Lord and said yes to Jesus. And children, even if they have a childlike faith, they don't understand this. It's more important than that. And, you know, it's not a midday snack for the children. It's not that what it is. So, you know, help them understand. You're the parent. You can help them with this. This is for those of you who are ready to say, I know what I am. I know who he is, and I know I need him. It's as simple as that. So we're going to take the bread and the cup, have your elements ready.
praise team is going to join us in this experience. I'm going to pray, and then we'll commune together. Lord, I thank you that we, as your children, a family of believers who recognize the slavery that sin puts us under, recognize the bondage that it tries to create in our lives. We recognize in our own right how betrayal can be a part of our experience with you. And Lord, we just appeal to your mercy and your grace. We appeal to your son and the sacrifice he made to ensure us a place at your family table. May we trust you to overcome our disloyal moments, our doubting, our envy, our bitterness, our lack of forgiveness for someone, our anger, the hostility that we sometimes hold toward you and your, and your church. Thank you for giving us a seat at this table, not because of who we are, because you've made it so. You've made it so that we can have our ticket punched to be with you in a meal that will happen in the future that will once and for all show us how mighty grace is. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10.15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org, call us at 308-384-5038, or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.